Not too many people even make New Year's resolutions anymore, probably because for all but a few of us, most New Year's resolutions get packed away with the Christmas decorations. What do you suppose is the most frequent resolution made by Americans? I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with that dreaded scale. One day, Joy walked by the bathroom and saw me weighing myself while sucking in my stomach. And Joy said, honey, you won't weigh less by doing that. You know, you won't weigh less by sucking in your stomach. And I said, I get that, I know. But it does help me see the numbers. (laughs) True story. I've had so many years of failed New Year's resolutions. Spend less money, save more money, go on a diet, get to the gym. Joy and I remember the treadmill we had in our outside our bedroom that ended up being a place where we hung all the clothes to dry. I always seem to get to February, and it never seems to stick. How about you? Am I alone on this? There is a nurse in Australia named Bronnie Ware who works with terminally ill patients. Part of her job is to provide counseling and relief from the physical and mental stresses that come naturally when a human being comes face-to-face with their mortality. In her work, she asks people if they have any regrets, right, about their lives, about what they could do different if they had a second chance. Here are the five biggest regrets shared by these people, and I think that it will give us a glimpse into what really matters in life. One, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expect of me. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And lastly, I wish I'd let myself be happier. Wow, I wish I'd let myself be happier. What if, in 2023, you resolved to be happier? I've been here six months today. And in these six months, I've learned, if anything I've learned, I've learned this, and that is that this church believes Jesus changes everything. And if Jesus changes everything, it's because Christmas changed everything. And so I ask you, church, do you genuinely believe that? Imagine Christmas is over. All the programs have been performed. All the pictures have been taken. The carolers are done singing. The holiday parties have come and gone. The presents are unwrapped. And the big dinners have all been eaten. The Christmas music is turned off. The family's headed back home. Someone from work is on the phone. The kids have a practice to get to. The house needs to be cleaned. The bills still need to be paid. The groceries are running low. The stock market is still down 
and up and down. The TV is still on. The news is still worrisome. Life just keeps going as if Christmas never happened. But it did happen. Look around. The church is full of family and friends and laughter because the baby is still the Savior. And the Savior is still the gift held out to a world still looking for joy, an earth still waiting for peace, and the peaceful still sing in wonder of the God who gave his Son and the Son who gave his life to add us to his family and one day welcome us home. Imagine Christmas is over. But remember that it really happened. And it changed everything. What if in 2023 we resolved to be happy? Happy by doing the work of Christmas. Because after Christmas, there is work to do. We are called to continuously grow, to deepen our faith and our relationship with Jesus. I will never be at a place where I'm going to say I am closer to God than I could possibly be, at least not until I meet him face to face. And I pray that I'll never be at a place where I say, right here, right now, is close enough. If you don't want to get any closer to Jesus, maybe you're not in love with him. Because that's what he wants, you know. He wants you to be in love with him. You see, if you strive to do the work of Christmas, you will be happy. Are you truly happy? Do you know what it means to be happy? Do you know what it takes to achieve happiness? Matthew recorded what Jesus said when he gave his disciples a prescription on how they could be happy. Listen. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It's important to know that the Greek word blessed literally means 
happy. So Christ was telling his followers how they could achieve happiness. And when Jesus taught the Beatitudes, he was not speaking to the crowd. The scripture very clearly states, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Why did he only teach them? Why didn't he just give the Beatitudes to the crowd and let them come to their own conclusions? For the simple reason that we must know Christ as Savior before we can know him as teacher. Let me say that again. We must know Christ as Savior before we can know him as teacher. Unless we have a relationship with God, the Beatitudes seem ridiculous. They fly in the face of everything that the world has taught us about what it means to be blessed. To our world, this seems like a bogus prescription for happiness. The qualities expressed in the Beatitudes are not the common understanding of what it means to be happy. Happiness for this generation is a psychological state of inward satisfaction. The aim of happiness, as we understand it, is to feel good about ourselves and to feel good about our lives. And particularly in Western culture, we tend to buy our identities. Like the rising and the setting of the sun, happiness seems to come and then go. It's rarely constant. The world teaches us that happiness comes from our outer circumstances. The Beatitudes of the world are, blessed is the guy with a super fat wallet. Blessed is the gal whose car has less than 10,000 miles on it. Blessed is the couple who have a big house in the city and a summer home at the lake. Happy are those who have won the applause of their peers. And blessed is the woman who turns the heads of men. But Jesus says that the world is feeding us lies. And research is now proving this to be true. A fairly recent Huffington Post article entitled The Psychology of Materialism and Why It's Making You Unhappy tells us that once our basic human needs are met, more, more money equals more problems. What's our basic human needs? You know, shelter and clothing, even transportation. You know, if you don't have wheels and you're walking 15 miles to work, more money equals more happiness. It's true. But once our basic human needs have met, our tummies are full, we've got a roof over our head, more money equals more problems. Americans today, compared to 60 years ago, own twice as many cars, eat out twice as much per person, but we are not happier because of it. And when Jesus was teaching his disciples, it was no different back then. People with outward success were envied. And Jesus was saying then and now that the least expected people are happy in the kingdom of God. The people who you don't expect to be happy are happy. In the Beatitudes, what Jesus is doing by teaching this to his disciples is he's saying, this is me. And I am happy. And all of my followers are happy. Jesus is saying that people who are blessed are not the powerful, those who celebrate, those who are independent, those who think they are right, the ruthless, the stylish, the winners, the bullies. Jesus says all of these people would normally be considered to be the happy ones. You know, 
You're happy if you're powerful. You're happy if you're celebrating. You're happy if you're independent. You're happy if you're right. You're happy if you can take revenge. You're happy if you're sophisticated. You're happy if you're a winner. You're happy if you're a bully. And you're happy if you are one of the hard ones who can take the hard knocks of life and survive. And Jesus says, it's not like that at all. This is what it's like. You're happy if you realize that you need me. You're happy if you recognize the weight of your sin and respond with sorrow. You're happy if you use your power for constructive purposes. You're happy if you hunger and thirst for justice. You're happy if you're compassionate towards others. You're happy if your heart has the absence of impurity or filth. And you're happy if you are not a power broker, but a people lover. You're happy if you pursue kingdom righteousness and are persecuted for it. You're happy if people mock you and they lie about you because you love me. It's interesting, isn't it? And as I was going over this list, one of the hardest ones for me to get my head around was this idea of being happy when you're mourning. Happy are those who mourn? Really? Jesus? Over the summer, I journeyed with a young family who had to bury their little toddler boy. You guys, this, this guy, if you choice here, so it's kind of making me emotional, but he grew up in our daycare. You know, my wife Joy rocked him since he was six weeks old every weekday. And it was very difficult for me. And you can imagine, if I was suffering, could you imagine the pain of mom and dad? Feeling blessed, feeling happy, it must have been the furthest thing from their minds. How could someone possibly feel happy as they mourn the loss of a loved one? This funeral, you guys, this funeral broke my heart. And then it hit me. Taking a fresh look at this text helped me realize something. It helped me realize that mourning in this context has little to do with feeling sad about an event. Instead, mourning in this context has to do with the condition of the human heart. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. So maybe we can feel blessed or happy because we have a God that can help us get through it. Let me explain. Again, preparing for this funeral was incredibly difficult. I sat at my computer keyboard for two days, unable to type a single word. I just cried and cried and cried. And then it hit me. This funeral was bigger than me. I realized that I could not do it outside of complete and total dependence on him, on Jesus. And only then, when I came to that place, did I feel Christ comforting me. 
Only then did the word start to come. Only then did the Holy Spirit begin to use me as a vessel to try and prepare a message for this family. How can you be happy in mourning? You can be happy because in such conditions, your heart is broken and open. And when your heart is broken and open, the one who holds all happiness is able to gain access to your heart and give it to you as a gift. James tells us, come close to God and God will come close to you. So I would like to propose a very simple and very powerful resolution. What if you resolved to draw closer to God and then watch all the other areas of your life start to begin spiritually growing? You know, I'm a pretty gift-driven guy. This is going to be my resolution this year. And when I'm excited about something, I usually go after it with determination. Do you remember a time when you really went after something hard in your life. Maybe it was a new job or an education or a promotion or a person you wanted to date, right? Or a new business adventure. Well, what would it look like to pursue the work of Christmas with that kind of determination? What if in 2023, together, we as a church pursued God like that? So you can make a New Year's resolution and try to generate your own happiness, and it might last momentarily. Or maybe in 2023, you can receive happiness as a gift. You see, Jesus gives that gift of happiness and places it within the vessel of an open heart. Jesus gives happiness to those whose hearts are open. A gift from the one who owns happiness who creates happiness, and who is able to continuously generate happiness. In 2023, let's resolve to do the work of Christmas. And right now, Jesus is working right here to grant us new life, not so that we can endure 2023, but that we can experience real, true happiness. When all seems beyond your grasp, when hope seems like it's something that's far out of your reach, that's when we need to listen. Listen for the still, small voice of God. Jesus came so that we would know that we're not alone. That we do not celebrate alone, suffer alone, fear alone, live alone, or die alone. He is here with us in the good times and the bad. And many people, you know, they think that Jesus is off and far in this abstract, perfect place, and it's simply not true. And again, I said we need to do the work of Christmas. You know, when you're on the airplane and they say that when that, that, that airbag comes down, that air mask, you put it on yourself first. Why? Because if you aren't awake, you can't help anybody else, right? And so to do the work of Christmas, the first job is for us to draw close to God so that we can then go do the work of Christmas. You and I, we as a church, we are called. We are called to be a part of the plot line of this, the second half of the Christmas story.
before we close and worship in song, I want us to pray. I'm going to go ahead and read this and then we'll stand and pray it together, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you desire to spend time with me. Your word says if I draw near to you, you will draw near to me and I want to be near to you. In 2023, I ask that you give me a strong desire to draw near to you above everything else. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's pray this together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you desire to spend time with me. Your word says if I draw near to you, you will draw near to me. And I want to be near to you. In 2023, I ask that you give me a strong desire to draw near to you above everything else. Amen.